Section 13 of The Spring Song by Forrest Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 The Perfumes of Arabia. Beware, beware, his flashing eyes, his floating hair. Weave a circle round him thrice, and close your eyes with holy dread, for he on honeydew hath fed and drunk the milk of paradise. Coleridge, looking rather tired, with a large hole in the knee of his stocking, and a very dirty collar, but in the glory of a motor car, Griff arrived home when the others were finishing dinner. The car had departed again before anyone had time to reach the door, but Griff and Pouncer were there, upon the step, and in her relief at seeing him safe and sound, Aunt Caroline forgot all about the scolding she had prepared. He was dragged into the dining room by excited young Westons, though in the general hubbub nothing could be made out very clearly, except that he had come home once more and had had his dinner. Anne, finding it difficult to get near her brother, devoted herself to Pouncer. For a minute or two, the noise was deafening, because everybody tried to talk at once. Then Griff's adventures were drawn from him in jerks, and the tale of Palmer's burglar, who that morning had been discharged and sent back to his comrades, was told by Edward. In the first lull, Aunt Caroline pounced upon Griff. She wanted him to go to bed, or at least to lie down on the sofa. Only through repeated assurances that he could not possibly sleep was he absolved from this, and even then, promises were extracted from him that he would keep quiet and not run about in the sun. She accompanied him to his room and watched him change his stockings and his collar. If Dr. O'Neill comes round before you go to bed this evening, you're to see him, she suddenly declared. I'm all right, Griff protested. I know I am, and I hate doctors. But I don't know it, said Aunt Caroline. She looked at the sallow face, at the dusky lines under the dark eyes, and felt dissatisfied. Where are you going to now? Why can't you stay quietly in the house? I'm going to be quiet. I want to read about Tobias. Grandpapa told me it was in the old Bible in church. The church is locked up. He told me I could have the key, said Griff. He left it for me, in the drawer of the hat stand, so that I could get it when I wanted. Come and let me brush you. Your jacket's covered with dust. Grandpapa spoils you all. If you do go, remember you're not to be late for tea. I'll be very angry if you are, and not allow you to go out by yourself again. How can I help forgetting if I do forget? Griff argued gently as Aunt Caroline turned him round to brush the back of his coat. I mean, I can't remember not to forget. You can remember to come straight home at any rate, said Aunt Caroline. You must have known, Griff, that you shouldn't have run off the way you did yesterday without telling anybody where you were going to. Griff listened patiently, and as she dropped the brush, stooped and picked it up for her. I didn't know. I hadn't time to think. It was hearing the engine whistle that put it into my head. And at all events, I got Pouncer. If you had stayed at home, if you had told Grandpapa, you would have got Pouncer. And you wouldn't have needed to wander about out of doors all night. She let him depart, reluctantly. For after the events of yesterday, nothing seemed safe. Though it was difficult, unless an aeronaut descended and carried him off, to imagine what harm could come to him now. She herself was going into Ballinraw to return Palmer's revolver. She had insisted on Grandpapa's confiscating that immediately after breakfast. 
and she felt that she shouldn't be happy till it was safely back in the shop, until she had said a word or two to the man who had sold it. She had kept Griff so long, however, giving him various injunctions, and examining him minutely as to the state of his health, that when he at last escaped from her clutches, the others had disappeared. He went round to the back of the house and whistled two or three times. Then, getting no answer, trotted on down the drive by himself and out onto the road. He took a shortcut across the fields, but, characteristically, stopped to scratch the face of a cow and to brush away the flies that kept buzzing around her eyes and settling at the corners of them. The cow lowered her head till it was well within Griff's reach, and then stood perfectly still, breathing her sweet breath into his face, while he rubbed all round her eyes where the flies tormented her. Solemn, motionless as one of those extraordinary wooden beasts of Noah's arks, she probably would have been pleased to pass a good portion of the afternoon in the enjoyment of this novel and delightful sensation. But Griff, having scratched for several minutes, moved on. The cow followed him as far as the next stile, where she stood, her head stretched over the bars. A low mmm brought the tender-hearted Griff back again. But he couldn't scratch the cow forever, and, giving her a last pat on her wet, soft nose, he turned and ran across the field and on to the church. He opened the door with his big iron key and went up to the reading desk for the Bible. It was a large book, and a brown powder from its calf back came off on his jacket as he carried it under his arm. He brought it out into the sunlit churchyard and looked about for a comfortable corner. He wandered among the graves most of them marked by headstones stained green by time and weather, some with their lettering almost indecipherable, and some lying prone on the grass. He read the names and the dates, now and then having to kneel down and pull away a creeper that had half hidden an inscription. Our life, a vapor. Our days, do quickly pass. Fade as a flower, and wither. As the grass. It seemed odd to Griff to think that many of these people who lay here had lived more than a hundred years ago, some of them a great deal more. It made the world appear very old and gave him a curious impression of dabbling in past times. Here lieth the body of Henry Tisdale, who was present at the action off Cape Trafalgar, October. 1805. In the midst of it all, he remembered Billy Tremaine and began to search for his grave, looking among the newer stones. Yet, when he found it, it was rather an old one, and there were several names on it, the one he sought for being the last William Bat Tremaine, aged 14 years. There is no text. Merely at the top of the stone an engraved crest, with a Latin motto which he could not make out. All the other people buried in this grave had been old, and it seemed to Griff rather sad that a boy should have to lie here among men and women, not one of whom but had attained his allotted span of three score years and ten. The grave was close to the wall, and just beside it Griff sat down with his book on the grass near him. The hot sun made him sleepy and comfortable, 
and not inclined to begin reading. So he remained for a while thinking of the bats and of Billy's room, which he had not yet been taken to see, though he had gone to the house a good many times. And presently he heard the thin, creaking, rather battered voice of the wall. In the old gray stone wall grow daisies, white and gold, with green trembling leaves like feathers and roots that hold firmly between the gray crumbling stones. In the old gray stone wall grow thistles, purple and strong, and the ivy clings there, and dark mosses creep along the battered ancient stones. Here, out of the wind and in the sunshine, I find a nook, pleasant to lie here in simple idleness, or with a book sit, leaning my back against the stones, while overhead the sky is blue, and at my feet the grass is green, and a bee crawls on the thistle, and a lark sings, unseen and quietly the spider spins his web between the stones and waits for foolish flies, and a cock crows in the distance, and a dog barks, and when the wind passes, when the wind shakes it and awakens it, the old elm tree sighs. Griff opened his Bible, and after some trouble found the book of Tobit. He read it carefully, but with a good deal of disappointment, for Though it was like them, it did not seem to him nearly so interesting as the stories in the Arabian Nights. The genie that fled from Tobias into the utmost parts of Egypt was evidently not so powerful as those which King Solomon had sealed up in brazen jars and thrown into the ocean. Nor was the magic which Tobias used very exciting. He only burned the heart and liver of a fish, and it was just the smell that the genie didn't like. Perhaps it was a herring, Griff thought, for he himself detested the smell of herrings. Moreover, Tobias's dog, which he had imagined as playing a principal part in the adventure, was just mentioned and no more. Griff believed he could make up a better story out of his own head, and one more like the picture. He shut the Bible and placed it on the grass beside him. Through sleepy, narrowed lids he looked at the square tower of the church. He wondered if it could be getting late already, for the sun seemed to be setting, and he thought dimly of tea time, and then forgot it. Across the dusky flush of the sky, he saw a bridge of golden light, and he knew that if he could walk up this bridge, it would lead him to fairyland. Above his head, he heard a heavy flapping of wings, a flapping growing louder and louder, till at last it made quite a wind in the trees. An immense shadow suddenly darkened the churchyard, and Griff, lifting his face, saw an enormous lizard-shaped creature with great protuberant eyes, eyes brighter than the brightest motor lamps, circling over him and dropping closer and closer to the ground. Its flaming green and yellow body shone as if it were coated with precious stones. It had huge claws, and its legs were in a kind of bunch in the front. All the rest of it seemed to stretch out in an enormous tail. From its open jaws came a glow like the glow of a smith's fire, brightening and dulling as it breathed. Suddenly, 
with a startled little scream, he saw it drop onto the church tower and swing there, its tail reaching nearly to the ground. For a moment he felt afraid, and then, as it slid to the earth and sprawled over the graves, his fear vanished, for he saw it was only the dragonfly he had saved that morning. He sat up and rubbed his eyes. The dragon had vanished, the dragonfly too, but the sound that had awakened him persisted. It was the sound of someone running, running quickly, down the cinder path. He sprang to his feet and was just in time to see Palmer disappear through the gate, which he slammed behind him in Mr. Bradley's face. End of section 13